Welcome to Grog Talk, Episode 8, and I, hopefully you all see that we're a little bit different today. We have our, uh, my friends from Smog on the Nog. Uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? I'm Jordan. Hey guys, uh, I'm Brandon, <laughs> and uh, just to elaborate a little bit, we run a podcast where we talk about things that just generally um, make for good conversation. That's probably the easiest way to break it down. And we figured there's a lot of good conversation that can be had with uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So, yeah. Sure. Uh, so, Brandon, I, you're trying to center on your screen. I've cropped you a little bit. So, if you could move to your left. Oh, there you go. Perfect. There you go. Now you're right. Right. I'll be leaning there. the whole time now. Okay. Exactly. Uh, I can move you over. But um, so you know, I'm a subscriber to Smog on the Nog, and uh, I've listened to a number of their episodes. And it's just interesting to see how they their take on uh, what's history to them, but it's things that we lived. And so I started communicating with them, and uh, we talked about uh, Dungeons and Dragons and how it came up in the '80s, and specifically about the Satanic Panic. If you've uh, heard a couple of their episodes, they're always looking at some kind of angle or how people perceive a greater force behind it. So we thought this would be a great opportunity to to talk about that. And, um, you know, I first would love to hear your guys' take on what you think the Satanic Panic was. And then I can give you what I remember, because when it started, probably I was like 10 or 11 up through my early 20s. And I was pretty much still playing pretty consistently. Well, from what I remember, uh, and what I saw too, it isn't like the actual Satanic Panic, that phrase came from that whole situation with like the... Um, I forgot the family's name, but it was like that whole regressed memory situation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where um, they they like there was a bunch of like murders and bad things going on. So this this family started. Um, they like went to these these therapists, and that's where they came up with this whole regressed memory. They started seeing crazy stuff that they did that they didn't actually do, uh, and they attributed it to like this sat- satanic panic that swept the nation. And it all it was all garbage everything that they had confessed to none of it actually happened and uh that definitely got the that's what i said repressed oh when i say regressed (laughs) right well they are regressed it was regressive and it was repressed yeah i mean it's interesting because like you said i only know it through the scope of hearing about it so uh when people talk about it regarding the past um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Everything was so ridiculous, and why were people so out of control with all of this? But the science on repressed memories and the occult and everything wasn't as advanced as it is now. So it was a lot of people uh, just trying to learn that whole effect on the brain and bad science regarding psychology. And so I don't really have the lens of it of like, oh, what is this new thing what, that everybody's talking about and is this really real that people are being part of the occult and they don't even know and then you have to go see a psychologist to bring it back up like do i have repressed memories am i you know i I don't have that lens i only have the lens of like look at all these mistakes people made along the way in their thinking 
Yeah, I think the, um, you know, just recalling that time, um, psychotherapy and psychology was really becoming, it was moving away from the exploits of, you know, people who had a lot of money. There was this idea in the 60s and 70s, you would go to a psychiatrist, um, but that was the purview of the neurotic and the, and the rich. And it, it was becoming more mainstream. And, you know, again, the challenge for people who lived there, there was no internet. Um, so there was an air of legitimacy. The idea of it was on TV, uh, just like a book, there was, a, it was thought of, well, this must be true. No one would publish something that was complete nonsense, or at least that was the perception of it. And you started seeing it in the talk shows, similar to what you see today with herbal medicines or these type of things on Dr. Oz or whatever uh, things that you guys have done research on. So all the talk shows started having, uh, daytime talk shows started having people who had repressed memories. And so this idea started to formulate. And it came at a time when uh, this idea of you were normal, but everyone else wasn't. And that all this weird stuff people were doing, uh, you know, it was before Jerry Springer, but you started to see all these kind of people in middle America or wherever, they were freaks of nature. And it was this idea that you were fine, maybe a couple of your neighbors were fine, but someone out there was sacrificing babies. And, you know, as someone who was, uh, uh, you know, a child and then a teenager, all the things I liked were being lumped into the satanic panic, whether it was heavy metal music, whether it was uh, Dungeons and Dragons, whether it was computer games, but that was, you know, came much later as far as violence. So, I mean, that explains uh, really a lot about you, right? <laughs> right. Well, that's right. I mean, I haven't sacrificed anyone in a long right. time. I'm a, You've I'm repressed a, it. That's right. I've repressed my killing. The number of days. Well, actually, it's not true. We played and I killed uh, an NPC elf. But besides oh, that, there you go. No, no players were hurt in my last See, adventure. See, that's so, the part they didn't account for, is that you could get your killing out through the games. Right. It, it was this... And like you said, uh, Brandon, that this idea of the mind could was fragile and but could be manipulated, and there was just these thoughts. And the empirical study was not as important. You you know, I think the whole social sciences that has been happening and the challenge of of repeating experiments has come into question. And some of that's really been the biases of the researchers. And I, you know, I'll leave that to you guys to talk about. That's more your take. But this idea, again, people would get on Donahue or Oprah. They were uh, famous talk shows at the time. I mean, Oprah's still popular. but uh, And they would say these things, and people would be like, wow, that's really true. Uh, so, yeah, it was interesting time from that. Uh, and, and, again, I have a different perspective. When I grew up, I grew up in New York City, and then I moved to Florida. So I think there's a little – the culture changed when I moved well, I think it's funny, too. Right. They kind of – they gave these <laughs> – weirdos basically rock star status because at first these people were nobody and they were going on shows and they were embracing it like the people that were speaking for the satanic community because there's these like you know satanic churches and stuff i see some of the clips and they're hilarious because they're obviously like you know this is my time to shine and like uh you have like the people like uh, is it anton levey was the one of the big ones in the 80s like then you start giving these dudes rock star status and then of course the rock stars themselves this is in the seventies too with like Led Zeppelin, but then they, um, they knew the mystique of it. So they kind of, um, 
they played to their strengths as well with it. Yeah, I remember just real quick that because uh, again, rock music, metal, heavy metal, but particularly rock music, a lot of the evangelical. Because then you also had televangelists at right. that time, and I, f- I forgot the show. I wish I would know the clip, but I remember watching. You're flipping the channels, and this guy was explaining that the songs don't end; they just fade out. And because they fade out and they don't cut off, it's this kind of infinity. And that's a very demonic thing. You know, songs should just end. God is beginning and an end. But things that just keep going on forever, it's... And then they would play the songs backwards. I love that. And they've been doing that for 25 years. So anything that was new was perceived as some subliminal message. Uh, So, yeah, it it was like, what are you doing... Who's, they didn't have crack back then, but you would think they were I love the crack one that's the like, uh, who is it? It's a famous song. I love those backwards ones. The ones like, smoke marijuana. It's like, that doesn't sound like anything. And it's like stretched over five seconds. It's like, smoke marijuana. It's like, see, this is smoke right. marijuana. I saw this yeah. guy break it down for like 20 minutes. He was just going clip to clip to clip. And just like, no, this is this. And he's just rattling them off, playing them with a, a tape recorder. He's going, boom, plays it. And he goes, this is this, this is this. He's like, oh, see? Sacrifice babies. And it sounds nothing like it. <laughs> well, I'm going to replay this backwards. And uh, I'm sure it's sacrifice babies. Kill everyone. Oh, that's the oh. funny thing is if you hear it the first time, you go, uh, I don't know what they're saying. But then they say, okay, now did you hear them say this? And then you listen again and you're like, oh, I heard them say that. Oh, my gosh. Like You, you didn't hear anything. Yeah. I think it's audio pareidolia. But, yeah, take yeah, a it, three minute song plus and then like play it backwards. Just listen. Yeah, and it could be for any amount of time. Like I was saying, it doesn't have to be like in a, in a, um, like a normal rate of speech. It can be like very stretched out. It's like, see? Well, what's funny is those musicians, it was kind of a counterculture thing. It was to rebel against, you know, that that's kind of how rock and, and all really music is. So. They could have just put it into music, and people would have people would have still listened to it. So to think that they would have had to hide it in there, like. But that was a meme, or I wouldn't call it a meme, but that was a trend that also came out of the '60s and '70s. The idea of subliminal messages. You know, there was uh, movies were you know because again, obviously, 24 frames per second it provides the illusion of uh, motion, and and there would be. Uh, studies that showed that you know movie theaters would put eat popcorn or drink coke every like oh, flashed yeah. in there and there was a movie that came out uh, they live yes. I don't know if you've heard that one and that was a cult classic and it came out I was about 14 when it came out and this idea you know that aliens had taken over and we were being bombarded with some blue messages and it's you know these kind of individual points but there was this culture of paranoia and uh, particularly, you dealt with the existential threat of the Soviet Union. We had uh, The Day After, that famous uh, movie, that made-for-TV movie that was apparently was so terrifying that even Reagan, uh, President Reagan, was concerned about it. And, you know, that was the first time, like, oh, my God, we're going to get completely annihilated. Uh, so it was this constant dread, and it kind of bl- blended in there. And so people are looking for excuses, and, and clearly uh, we're not the problem. Apparently there's Satanists running around causing all these issues. Or yeah. communists. Commie Satanists. Right. Well, the synonymous. communists are Satan. Yeah, so. There's always comfort. Right. Well, the, there's always comfort yeah. in the supernatural, it seems like. There's always, 
Yeah, like you were saying, putting it on some something else. Yeah, and I wish I had written down all the things, but there it was a cataclysm of like a lot of stuff. There was uh, the big war on drugs, which also targeted a lot of the people that involved in the music industry and Dungeons and Dragons and everything because they were like the youth. And there was obviously the whole red wave. There was the um, ev- evangelicals, like you had said. So it, there was like so many things that it was just like perfectly coming together. And it was like right on the turn of, of really starting to discover some of this psychology behind everything. And that probably led to a lot of the discoveries we made in the psychology, to be honest, because there were people behind the scenes going, this sounds awfully fishy. Everything we know about memory, yeah. although it's not that great, doesn't really lead to this conclusion that you can just hide memories away. And I think in like some very, very rare cases, it might be possible, but we've never really demonstrated it. But people just like latched onto it. Like you said, as soon as it was in a book, it was official. And you just had all these crackpots writing books. That was like, you know, anybody could write a book, I guess. So so my recollection, uh, when I, you know, in the early 80s, I was, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14, before I moved down to Florida. And, um, some of my family lived down here. We would come down on vacation. That's where I actually started learn, playing Dungeons and Dragons. I was over the summer. And uh, I was at the local bookstore. We picked it up, and, and there was no warnings or you know explicit lyric kind of thing like they, that came later. And it was an innocuous, you know, it was already a strange game. You didn't have ch- uh, pieces. You didn't have chess, you know, you didn't have figurines like this, right? You had to, there's no board. And um, so we, we really enjoyed it. Went back to New York, started finding some folks who played it. And the only thing I remember from that time was this movie called um, Mazes and Monsters. And it had Tom Hanks in it, who I had seen in Bosom Buddies in the early 80s. It was a sitcom. There were these two guys, and they needed to get a... I think they was trying to get a cheap apartment, so they dressed as women, so it was kind of a cross-dressing. It was this sugar, you know, gum, bubblegum comedy. And I was like, oh, my God, Mazes and Monsters, great. They're finally going to show Dungeons and & Dragons, and it's going to be great. And I'd already been disappointed. Well, I was, I was about to be disappointed uh, in a couple of years. So I watched this thing, and uh, for those who are out there, my suggestion when I do the suggestion part is you should watch Mazes and Monsters because if you think uh, some of your entertainment choices are bad now, imagine on primetime TV you have to watch this. They have no understanding of how Dungeons and Dragons works. Um, you know, I guess maybe they were worried about being sued by the company TSR because they had nothing related to it. It was kind of like a knockoff, and it was the the, the acting was horrible. And it just it didn't even portray Dungeons and Dragons badly. It just portrayed life badly. It was a horrible uh, portrayal of it, and I was so disappointed because I was like, yes, finally something I care about was going to be done well. And then like two years later. The Dungeons and Dragons uh, cartoon came out, and I don't know if you remember, like the A Team and a lot of shows during that time. You know, they'd spray 150 bullets at someone, no one be hit, no one got shot, no blood, no nothing. I was like, this is ridiculous. How can they shoot 150 times? No one. Well, that's how Dungeons and Dragons was. The cartoon it didn't make any sense, and it was just a continuing disappointment of why is the things that I care about being portrayed so ridiculously. Um, and I'm sure other people were like that. I'm sure when, I don't know if uh, for rap or hip-hop, when some of the movies came out, you could tell 
when movies were made by people who knew what they were talking about and people who were just trying to commercialize it. So um, then we, I moved down here, and that's when I was getting older and started seeing some of the, maybe it was because of the culture here in Florida versus in New York, but we started to see some of those other aspects of on TV uh, that this was a, you know, a satanic bent to it. Um, the Mazes of Monsters was just crazy people play it and you're going to die. I came down here and it became, this is the gateway drug to Satanism. Um, and there was always that push-pull, because right the early, in the early 80s, we had uh, Venom came out, which was a heavy metal band, and their black metal, sell your souls to the gods of rock and roll, or something like that. It was over-the-top, ridiculous Satanist music. And you kind of were like, ooh, Satanist music, that's kind of cool. I should get that. But you're like, is it really Satanist? You know, you're like, you're, in some ways you're hoping... The, you know, it's like wrestling, right? You hope it's real, but you know it's not, but you still enjoy it. So that's kind of what we had. And Iron Maiden had Number of the Beast, which came out and had a big devil on it. So, you know, they were exploiting us for that time. Uh, but you, you always had that thing of, is this, you know, again, I was a teenager. Is this really true? If this is, how far do I have to get to? What level of understanding will before I, you know, really trip over and become it's like Scientology. You know, the guy who, right, exactly. You, it's that, I know it's a game, I know this is silly, but maybe there's something in here that I could actually find, this Gnostic kind of understanding. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was always in the back of your head, or at least for me. I'm sure others completely discounted. And then as I got older, uh, I wasn't too worried about it. It was, it was more of a game, and then I realized, at least at the time, uh, you know, if I wanted to grow up, quote-unquote, I needed to move on, and then, you know, for 25 years, I didn't play, so. You missed 25 good years of satanic practice. Right. I would be probably a level 18 Satanist now. Well, the irony now is you, a... you graduated to Mastery of Satanism when you moved to Florida, because, you know, Satan lives in Florida, so. Apparently. <laughs> that that yeah, was your and... gateway. Your gateway was moving here. Right. Well, some would say some people who don't like Florida think it is hell, so, uh yeah, and, and the other thing that had come out that I definitely remember was the child abuse scandals at the daycares. And you, so you want to talk about repressed memories, uh, that there's these cults of Satanists running child care facilities with the purpose of molesting and sacrificing right. them. I think it was like McMartin thing in 1982, and that, that happened for years and years. People are getting arrested. You know, that's that's oh Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they were on every daytime channel. Um, so you had that. And then you also had the suicides. There, you know, I was a big metal fan, still am. Uh, you know, Judas Priest, Ozzy Osbourne, their, some of their fans would kill themselves. So Ozzy Osbourne had a song called Suicide Solution. That was the name of the song. Probably if nowadays he wouldn't write that so he wouldn't be sued. But the thought, it was about, supposedly, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was about trying to have innocent youth murdered. But what he said, the reason of the song was, was to uh, commemorate Bon Scott, who is the uh, singer of ACDC, Antichrist Devil something. That's, by the way, what ACDC right. means. At least that's I've what we're all told. I've also heard it means it, you go both ways. So they're trying to convince people to be gay. Ah, gotcha. Oh, that's yeah. good. One. I thought I it was like the that. electrical, oh, you know, like the alternating current. What is it? 
Right. Well, that's where they, that's uh, where they make the connection from the AC-DC. That's cute. The electrical currents and something about flowing both ways. Oh wow. I, I mean, you have to suspend <laughs> belief a little bit, when, <laughs> or at least your connection to reality. Yeah. A- Antichrist. Yeah. So it's like, like Kiss was knights in Satan's oh, yeah. service. Uh, anyway, Horlos and. I'm not sure, again, my mother didn't really care about that. She wasn't too concerned, but I'm sure other parents, and it's the same thing, uh, whether it's uh, M-rated movie or games or R-rated, you want to sell more, actually putting that label gets it. So, um, you know, the, uh, they, they had Suicide Solution. It was about Bon Scott who drank himself to death, and it was about drinking and, and slowly killing yourself. But there were a couple of lawsuits where they basically... Um, in the Judas Priest case, it was the song Better By You, Better Than Me was the name of the song. It, it came off a, 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 an album in 1977, Stained Class. And the same thing, they would have audio experts slowing the thing down. And, and they're like, you know, it's like, and it would say, he said, do it right there. That was do it, like commanding this guy. And apparently, the, and I don't remember exact details, but I'm sure people could look it up where these two guys, Kids are uh, listening to music, and they decide, hey, let's blow our brains out with a shotgun. One kills himself. The other one survived after getting shot, if I recall. So I don't know who was worse in that situation. But that was part of it. And the same thing. It was, you know, I don't know what was more distressing at the time, the lawsuit, and that it was ridiculous, or watching my heroes having to dress in suits going to court looking like, you know, businessmen. It was, it was very not metal. <laughs> right. So it was a tough time. I, I really don't, I don't remember a lot of uh, positive press from that. And, you know, any kind of thing that you embrace, on the one hand, you want to keep it as yourself. You want to, at least when I was younger, this is mine or this is for my folks or my people. But you also don't want it to be dissed or whatever uh, by, by those who don't understand. It's interesting because there was also an overlap of the um, child abuse and everything with the uh, alien abductions. So that oh, a lot yeah. of people claim to have been abducted and molested by aliens when in reality, and, and whenever they went to see their therapist or whatever, they wouldn't always bring up that it was aliens, but the therapist would lead them towards aliens. They would be like, so like, did you see flashing lights and everything? So uh, it was kind of that whole field was really having a, a rough time. They, and it probably had a lot to do with them just not really having a solid, uh, you know, I, I don't know, structure because there, there was a lot of stuff they still had yet to learn. And there was a lot of people putting their own beliefs into it, obviously, which is where the whole satanic part of it came. And, and the aliens with people wanting to believe that there's aliens or I'm sure in some weird way it fits their narrative that aliens are molesting people. So, yes, there must be aliens. But now we know a lot of yeah. that is is not repressed memories. It's just people trying to feed their narrative onto somebody. But you know, I've heard on your on your guys's podcast this when it crosses from these random crackpots to it becomes legitimate. Uh, you know, the thing that was I don't remember the time, but Gary Gygax, who was the co-founder of Dungeons and Dragons, co-creator, you know, he was on sixty minutes and having to defend that his game wasn't. Uh, and you're like, 60 minutes? Really? I mean, when it was on Oprah, or not Oprah, I keep disparaging, 
Sat, uh, was it Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and and uh, Don, uh, Donahue, and those kind, they were talk shows. But sixty minutes was you know one of the most legitimate shows, and they were saying you know basically, so why do you want all children murdered and sacrificed? Kind of thing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and so how does that tie in from what you guys have seen? You know, how does a conspiracy move from being crackpot to uh, legitimized? So, you know, this was pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook. Uh, I feel YouTube. like they have to somewhat pander to their audience at the time. Like, I, I don't think that would fly now just with, um, I mean, they would probably get ridiculed for that. But, like, um, you know, it, it was probably seen as a lot more legitimate then because of how much traction that um, – just the the whole whatever satanic panic and that specifically that mom her last name is Polling I want to say Patricia Polling, because um, they they interviewed her on the sixty minutes and like her son committed suicide and you know she was she like created this whole um, like instead of like mad like mothers against drunk driving it was literally called bad B A D D it was like something against Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so she was like getting traction, getting this movement. There's getting articles. So, um, you know, if the, I don't know. Uh, like I said, I think it's just like pandering to to uh, the sentiment at the time, the overwhelming sentiment. It was bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Bothered. That's hilarious. Bothered. That's right. I mean, they couldn't have picked a more. Perfect name for that group when you picture them. We're bothered. I'm slightly we were really bothered. <laughs> I'd like to speak to the well, manager he... of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Bedeviled uh, by Dungeons and Dragons, which would have been a little better. I think. But, uh, uh, I think probably the the two biggest factors for me that that led to it spreading would be one fear. Fear spreads everything. It really doesn't matter what aspect of life you're talking about, but if if you can get people afraid of something, that's when they start trying to. Uh, that's when they really start like arming up, basically, and and getting all of their groups together to go out and go against it because they they feel like something's going to be taken from them or the world as they knew it is going to change. And then the the other thing is, I think it was kind of a breakdown of authority figures. So people looked up to therapists and people looked up to anyone who had gone to school and been educated people looked up to the media and uh, people looked up to the police officers because there was also a big campaign of police officers promoting the satanic rituals and i don't know what their motives were maybe some of it was belief related because i know they found that a lot of the districts that were promoting it most heavily were also the most evangelical so I'm sure it had an aspect of that. I'm sure an aspect of it was probably funding because if you can promote this big new fear, then you can get more funding to go fight this fear, even if it doesn't exist. So and and I know they even had the FBI look into it because I, I was reading about that, and he found that basically any of the discussions of the police departments of Satanism and witchcraft. Uh, somehow led back to religious belief in their audience faith and not logic and reason were govern governing uh their decisions so and that and that was from the actual clip of this guy lanning who went and did like a, a big report in 1989 on it so i i think if you get a lot of authority figures in different areas to start 
telling the same message, people will just start believing it because you don't have time to go look into all that. If, if you're an everyday person and you're just going to work and worrying about what your kids are doing and everything, and you have all these different sources, you got the media, you got police, you got your friends, you got your church leaders telling you, hey, you got to start watching out for this. They're trying to get your kids. They're trying to, you're just going to believe it because the, the risk versus the reward, it's better to just believe it and, and not try to go do your own research and everything. So it, it's kind of their duty to make sure they're giving you good information. Yeah. Well, so, you know, what what is the satanic cult of 2019? What is the ever-present bugbear, yeah, ever-present bugbear that is, you know, enticing us and bringing us to moral depravity? You know, I I, kind of live my life now, and I've, you know, I've raised my kids, and I play play D&D, and, you know, do my thing. I don't really pay attention to, I've, I've, try to accept for grog talk I don't do a lot of social media so I don't know what the friends are of this but that was the ever present thing it was either communists that's back or Satanists. by the way they they were yeah they're unknown <laughs> yeah they were unknown but they were on you know omnipresent they were everywhere and again that's why that they live really had that residence it you know it was it wasn't a great movie but this idea that the uh, these secret society, had permeated everywhere. So, you know, what is that from your, you know, as younger people, your, what, what is that bugbear today? Oh, you can go. Well, I, I think personally, it's kind of been broken into two things because of how, and now we're going to make this D and D podcast political, but yes. I think basically the two political parties now are so divided that they say, see each other as that yeah. they each see the other mm. group as the one that's going to be the one that destroys the world as they know it. So it, it's kind of become, uh, like the political aspect of it because one side sees the other as like hateful racists who have no empathy. And the other side sees it as like these ultra progressive people who have no values and, and just want to change the entire structure. Yeah. Uh, I will say one thing though. It's like, since news is happening at such a fast pace, like there, like every piece of news is an outrage in some regard. That's like, it's almost impossible to actually get movements going. So that's kind of a good thing. Cause it's like, what, just wait till tomorrow. Like something else will be, you know, talked about or or uh, outraged about. So that's that's one good part. You're not, I don't think you're gonna have, um, you know, even if sixty minutes does a story on something like it's forgotten about the next day. So, but you do have that. I think like just kind of what Brandon's saying. Um, you do have the satanic panic aspect of 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 these both political parties, but just as a whole, it's like. Um, just just politics in general has become this like lame like soap opera that everybody's tuned into it just annoys me but that's that's my own thing <laughs> i don't think that's do the question but it's just annoying they got yeah, everyone I, bought in yeah no i was, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that you know part of that was you know and i i listen to your podcasts about conspiracies and you know the first one I listened to was about the Steve Jackson which again GURPS and all these games we played Munchkin these were games did you that play the Illuminati had, one uh, played did you play the I'm Illuminati sorry? card game I did not no th- that was that came out after uh, I was into video games that was when he was growing point, up you know? already yeah I was, I was that's part when of he was VP of bad uh, 
Yeah, of Mal- I was part of Malak and the corporate machine to sacrifice. That's what he was marketing uh, you know, for. Again, every Bob. enemy, you know, right? Lord of the Rings was a a you know, even though Tolkien said it wasn't, you know, this an- uh, analogy to World War One and the dis- mechaniz- mechanization being evil versus naturalist and and um, you know this uh, the the challenge I was you know. After the satanic panic, we went to, you know, the terrorist attacks, and then they became, because it still goes back to the same, you know, if you have an evangelical religious bent, there is an ultimate evil, and these are just streams off the same evil. They're just different versions right. of it, you know, and and in the, in the game, you know, it's funny, in first edition, um... Uh, you know, there were devils and demons in there, and they were various names of Satan. Right. You know, they, ne- they didn't have Satan, but they had Beelzebub. Mephisto. And, you know, okay. Mephisto, okay. Uh, nope, so far I'm okay. I, nothing's happened. And demons and pentagrams, and it was, you know... Spells. I, and, spells, and, and so, you know, it wouldn't take much for someone to figure it out. And then in the second edition, uh, which is by the time it was moved on, they really tampered that back because there was such a pushback on, um, you know, the, the, the style of play changed. You went from, you could do whatever you want. It was a very kind of gritty, I don't say realistic, it's a fantasy game, but kind of, you weren't superheroes. The second edition really focused on you were superheroes fighting for good. Yeah, you could play evil, but it was really meant... Um, uh, to do that, and if you played first edition, if you played an evil character, your soul, if you were a human, would be then used in uh, and become a larva, and then eventually you'd go up the demonic or or uh, diabolical food chain, you know, ultimately trying to become a demon. So, you know, you know there was that th- threat of, oh, you see, this is why people are trying to do this. They're trying to learn the satanic rituals so that they can move up in the, you know, the. Uh, Pyramid scheme of Satanism or something <laughs> like, like it's that. Just so an MLM. You can you, <laughs> you have to get five friends. Yeah, exactly. You can uh, multi-level marketing. Yeah, for boss a Satanist babe. thing. Yeah, if you can, guys can. You guys can. Satanic book that. boss babe. But uh, right, exactly. So um, you know, it all trended back, and you know, I think you know after the attacks of nine eleven and and the World Trade Center, you had. Islam, radical Islam being the, the, the boogeyman. And, uh, you know, I, I guess politics is the boogeyman now, but that still doesn't feel like a nefarious cult. You know, no one, this, they're not saying, ooh, the Democrats or the Republicans are meeting at, you know, CPAC, I guess they were at this week. And, you know, in one of the rooms, they're playing, praying to <laughs> Baal and, and uh, sacrificing children there. Or Pizzagate. Wasn't that yeah, Pizzagate? Yeah. Wasn't that one of those? For sure. Kind yeah, of that's, like that? that's a modern, that's, I mean, that's literally modern day satanic panic. But here's the thing too, like yeah. kind of, um, yeah, for, when you're talking about all these different names and stuff, this is what's, what intrigued me about um, when we did the Illuminati card game one is like, you know, like you had said, this, is, this was pre-internet. So there is this like, um, there's this, it's helpful if there's like this forbidden knowledge aspect, you know, it's, it's not like some kind of just blind belief. Like you're learning all this stuff. There's a lot of research been done. Um, and you see that, like when you just see like some random white dude from like Alabama goes and joins ISIS. Cause like, it's kind of the same thing. There's like this forbidden knowledge yeah. aspect, all these like new concepts, like that kind of gives it some mystique and appeal. 
I always uh, well, yeah. I was gonna say I always like like the history of where a lot of this stuff comes from too. So when we talk about what's the what's the satanic panic now sometimes i think about what was the satanic panic before that you know where where did it all originate because i guess it's kind of always been a thing so it probably always will be and that probably does play on the fact that fear and ignorance are always going to be prevalent because we don't have time like i said to search into everything but we had talked about it the other day about how just the origins of the word demon alone was was borrowed it comes from ancient greek and the the original ancient Greeks just used them as like supreme beings of knowledge. It wasn't until Christianity came along it was like, well, we can't have them looking up to these other supreme beings. We these things are bad now. So then they started including it as bad. But even in Plato's early writings, he says that demons were what inspired Socrates. So you know they they were they weren't necessarily revered, but they were like respected. But but then the Christians came along and were like. You know, as much like they did with the Romans, with um, you know holidays and whatnot. But um, they also was was the other aspect of that. Well, I that forgot. that is a um, knowledge in a sense is a demonic aspect or a tribute. I think it's true. Um, I don't know if you you'd agree with that, but I think that's kind of part of the. Um, that's where you can get kind of in these um, philosophical loopholes or religious loopholes sometimes because like. Um, you can always kind of fall back in that, but I think that is like a kind of this underlying belief is that like the, the knowledge, um, itself, like the, the goal isn't to be as knowledgeable as possible in a weird way because that, but there's always been yeah. that push pull, right? That's garden right. of Eden. Exactly. They got, they got kicked, uh, Prometheus. It was knowledge that you should not right. have. And or or man should not have, excuse me. Uh, and you know that idea of Gnosticism, which is this hidden knowledge, um, and that those who have it, you know, that's and again, I'm not. That's your guys' realm of of Scientology and um, cults and everything else. I look forward to seeing more of that. But you know, coming through this, um, you know, whether it's the game or things like that, it's it's it was other, and. Um, you know, and then you see the people playing. I know you look at me and go, wow, this guy you know, probably was very popular, had a lot of <laughs> friends. No, we were kind of nerdy and geeky still. And if you look weird and you act weird and you say things in weird languages, you know, I'm a level three magic user. <laughs> uh, not Put going him on to, the stake. In, in, it, yeah, not going to engender you with a whole lot of uh, sympathy. And I think that. I, and one thing I will say is, even though the internet, quote unquote, what we what we know of, you know, by the late '80s, early '90s, there were ch uh, there were internet like, uh, you know, it wasn't the World Wide Web, but you had um, you had things like AOL and, and its predecessor, you had the Prodigy, you had people dialing up to message board services. So it that part had started in the 80s. So people were sharing more knowledge, but it was still underground. Um, and chat IRC has been around for, you know, probably since the 70s, because I think, uh, you know, a lot of universities had it, but it wasn't to the uh, population that it has now, where everyone is That's what accessible. it was cool. I, I uh, wish so, I, that's the part that we missed out on that I would have liked to have been a part of. That's when it was like, 
you know, more, it is like almost everything's forbidden knowledge in a sense that's being shared. Whereas now it's like, yeah, it's kind of, kind of, I don't know, just corporate and watered down. I, I believe my stepmother, this was 83, 84, had a, a, an account to CompuServe, which was, you basically dialed this central computer and then it phoned home to other ones. And, you know, it's basically messaging. So there was some, you know, there was definitely more of that, but it was a very, you know, you had to have a computer and a lot a phone line. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't pervasive. Not everyone had a smartphone. Right. So and they tended to be uh, smart people was, or successful people. Like, or it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a uh, a human right that everybody just had. Yeah, and, and or universities. You had to be at a university and 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 be part of that culture. So it was there were small areas of it, but the, it was getting out there. Um, but you know, it really. My first recollection of a ubiquitous internet is probably 96, 97, when people started really feeling like, oh, I have to have a computer, I have to get on the internet, and it was a nightmare, because, you know, the idea was, you dialed in, and then you didn't know where to go, you didn't have Google, you had to go, and if you didn't have AOL, which was this hosted uh, environment for you to kind of go out of, you had to figure out where you were going. There was no search. There's, yeah, I think. Well, that came. Well, I'm sure there was a time where there was no right. Ask Jeeves, right? There was literally no Alta Vista, right. no anything, and so AOL or Yahoo became these gateways that people uh, used to get out to the internet. You know, think of the th- I, just researching the topics you do. There's right. no Google. You you Library. have to just try to start looking around going from site to site to figure out how to get there well, or going to chat right. In a lot of ways, I'm glad that the growing pains were kind of experienced by the previous generations because you guys had to vet all of all this bad information that ended up on the internet and in mainstream news and everything. And we've kind of been blessed by all those mistakes because now we have people that are aware of the faults of our minds and, and whatnot. So we can use those resources, resources if we want to. Not everybody does, but at least it's available. Whereas before, I mean, you had maybe one person write about it that would get famous 50 years after they die. But it wasn't like, yeah. oh, there was there's this huge sect of people that are actually familiar with, with the inner workings of our brain and why we fall for, you know, conspiracy theories like there's a satanic cult stealing your children and sacrificing them so i'm glad that i didn't have to go through all that i mean i i only vaguely remember having poor internet and everything and having to use like a phone line or whatever but a phone line yeah poor internet. Yeah. 56k was amazing right but i didn't really have to experience that as somebody who's like actively on the internet so Thank you for your sacrifice. Well, and, you know, it's going to be, you know, when you get to my age, what are the things you've experienced in the last five or ten years? What's going to be the vision of them with the passage of time? You know, every I'm, That's true. I remember, you know, we felt, uh, and now I'm at an age where I can say this, you know, my, my parents thought we, they were riding dinosaurs and, you know, they had, they had, black and white TV, oh, what horrible. We thought we were pretty modern, you know. We had video game consoles and computers and, you know, you could search for things. It was, and you know, 56K baud, well, that's pretty good. 
Um, I'll be curious to see what you all think when you're my age, the things that seem so important that, you know, in hindsight, they're either trivial or, um, you know, the passage of time has changed their perspective. And then you'll be on whatever the uh, Generation Z talk <laughs> that thing. And you'll be the old whippersnapper. Well, when I was a podcaster, we had to upload ourselves. Didn't know in chip to do that. We'll all have neural implants. Well, even with podcasting, I feel exactly. like it's got like podcasting similar to the internet started off as a lot grittier, and um, it is kind of one of the last bastions, though. Of like, it's not really well regulated, which is nice. But I'm waiting for that to happen any day now. But it's like, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's cynicism or what, but I I always look fondly at like the beginning of especially internet related things. It's like. You know, you kind of want to find it, find it in the beginning before it's like, you know, every corporation and their mother finds out about it, and we have to be advertiser friendly, and then it has to be this, and then, and then it gets, you know, boring. So you're a computer hipster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not cool. As soon as you know, once everyone has a podcast, it's not yeah. cool, right? Well, so, not even just that, but it's like, yeah, exactly. um, I I hate to sound like it more of a hippie than a hipster, but when I say like. You know, once the the corporate side of it gets in, that's when it just gets more like it. It, it just becomes, I don't know. It kind of you're not using enough man. Yeah, corporate. When you're talking like that, but it does because when I'm saying like advertiser friendly or when I'm saying these things, it has to be like it loses its edge in a weird way. Like YouTube, YouTube. You know, it's like you can still find some cool channels, but for the most part, what's actually promoted and what's, um, you know, if you go to the trending the most popular it's because it has to be family friendly for everyone um you have all the like the tonight shows and whoever is spending the money for it it's like it it kind of loses sight of the actual creator side of it which podcasting you could still mm. anybody can do it but what's promoted and what's you know given life in the beginning is if you have a um corporate backing you can go in and you're hot from the start which is fine, but it's like it, it just like I said, it loses sight of like the the cool creator aspect. So you just got to find new avenues, or we start our own. So internet. I think, yeah. I'm sorry, you have something. Yeah, brand? and you you can probably speak on this better than me, but I think we're probably in a weird situation right now where YouTube has a monopoly because they're the ones with the resources to run something like that. But it's possible in the future that it's not that hard to run a system that has servers holding videos. I mean, it's it's just right now that the startup cost and the, the maintenance and everything is so difficult mm -hmm. that it is hard for somebody else to really get in on it. And because Google's so massive, they have the backing. But it's possible that in the future that's not really an issue because storing the videos might be much more efficient. Regulating the videos much might be much more efficient. Uh, it's hard to tell what competition will bring and what technology and advancements will bring. So I'm not too worried about that. Right. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, in my other life, my other job, which I know for those who watch Master. this, D and D is not my job. I don't get paid for this. Uh, at, you know, my other job is in technology, and you would hope so, but we, you know, history repeats itself, as you guys have demonstrated many times in your podcast. We had the, the, the railroads, once they got large, they became robber barons, and they worked to suppress innovation. And the same companies, uh, 
you know, it was Microsoft when I was growing up. They once they became Microsoft and Intel tried to knock everyone out. So the encouraging side is Google and all these other ones still were able to break out. Um, but every new behemoth tries to use its monopoly power to prevent others. And so perfect example is uh, Google. You know, when you type in Google, you assume you're, you go out to the Internet, you go to the Google server, and you come back. So if you guys wanted to set up smog on the nog search engine, you'd set up a computer and do that. The problem is Google has gotten with all the internet service providers and put their servers inside their data centers. So when you hit Google, it's faster than it would be going to your site. And that's the whole net neutrality versus that. And is it is it really for freedom? Because, of course, who wants restricted internet? That sounds terrible. But is that the purpose of it? So I look forward to hear you guys talk about uh, net neutrality and the balance between corporatism Corporate welfare, that, that'll that be a three-part series. I look we forward love to talking politics and getting your take. We got the that, hottest honestly, huh? I was going to say, we'd be better off talking politics than talking about that with how, people, how mad people get about internet. <laughs> well, that's another thing, too. It's like when, I, right. when I, was, I was saying that sarcastically about the hot takes, but it's like, I don't want to hear and let like most of these these uh, concepts like that was something interesting that's a fact but like I'm so sick of hearing people's hot takes that like is literally the most obvious thing in the world you know it's like uh, I guess in the case of net neutrality be like well I think uh, just given like the most fair sided uh, view of of what it actually is you know it's like you know the, the whole i've talked to you about it before the whole common sense like look how common sense i am don't want to hear it well it's it's neutral don't you want to be neutral who wants yeah it's in the name why wouldn't you want oh, to do that, that would be a great so. episode too for the the naming conventions of all the uh different bills and and laws that they try to get through oh we'll just name it something nobody could possibly vote against oh yeah that's there's some right. creepy stuff so I think this is a good place, unless you have other questions for me, or uh, I don't have any. I appreciate you know your guys' take on this. You're not hot take. You're <laughs> deliberated take. You're mirandering uh, take. Um, anything for me? Anything we didn't cover from your guys' perspective? Uh, your I audience? mean, I'm, I'm curious what your idea is for what the, what the current satanic panic is. I don't think we got that. Um, you know, I think... From my perspective, I don't know if politics in it. I think that's kind of a a, a a label that people use to ascribe certain things that they're antithetical to them. So you know, you look at a party, and those who rally around it for the other for those who want it, they they see it as uh, all the reasons why the world is uh, falling apart. And so you know, I, you know, my opinion is the you know now we've moved past. Islamophobia. I think there's going to be something about um, this convergence of technology. If if self-driving cars and autonomous robots and this really starts taking forward, something is going to come out of that. This next generation, um, you're already seeing the tech backlash. I think there's going to be uh, almost an anti-tech, uh, you know, movement. You know, we're seeing that with Facebook. We're seeing that with uh, Twitter. This idea of people wanting to gain back their control of their lives because it's spinning out of control. 
I don't know if it manifested into a group per se, but I think that's the next thing, especially when you potentially have mass unemployment because of automation, which we've already seen some of it, but if that accelerates and uh, more globalism, which causes uh, disruptions in, in economics. So I don't know what the thing is called, but at some point it's going to go back to, you know, like the one world order type of scenario. And it will, you know, if you're a religious type, it will be Satan. That is the, the behind it. Right. Babylon. You sound like a Revelation. Revelation. You changed my answer, though, because you just made me think of something okay. else, which is oh, okay. uh, people's fear about government government monitoring. So and that kind of ties in with the whole technology, because a lot of people see as technology gets better, they see the government's ability to uh, surveillance improves. And there's a lot of people. I mean, it, it it is a rational fear at the surface, which probably most all things are at some point. But you see people just extrapolating to the extreme. And it's like, you know, now the government knows what's in your cereal and and maybe they're even controlling the ingredients and everything. So I think as technology keeps improving, people are going to continue worrying. And that might even be a real fear in the future. But right now, I know that there's no way they can keep track of all the information, even if they were gathering it all. There's just no possible way they could be storing it and monitoring it. As algorithms get better and maybe storage space gets better, then maybe we do have to start worrying. I disagree wholeheartedly. So they've convinced you. Yeah, talking about global exactly. shill. They've done a great job. Uh, yes, I had my bowl of government soup this did, morning. Did you so. just saw like Google Home like, got caught having those um, um, cameras or um, extra secret microphone in them? That just came out this week. I disagree wholeheartedly with that statement. The views of Brandon do not reflect on the smog and the nog sentiment. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's, you know, that's almost the cyberpunk thing, which is a game. Cyberpunk, that motif of cyberpunk, uh, uh, you know, a, a embracing parts of technology but rejecting the what seems to be the culture and the structure of society that would be generated from it. So, you know, that I, I'd be curious if you guys looked over cyberpunk. Maybe I need to do a review of cyberpunk at oh, some yeah. point and because that came out in the 80s and 90s that whole blade oh, yeah. runner they just remade kind of that the game or are they making a new game or yeah it's a new i think it's a newer version of it um you know is that from your guys's perspective in line with what you see because that was kind of the the thought of and even though some of it back then had you know uh i think we we're talking about off before we started I'm sure they had cassette decks and hard drives like they had in Rogue One where they're trying to pull hard drives off. You know, they're really, you would download the Death Star plans on a hard drive. Right. Really, that's the best way you could do it. Um, well, I think that's a so great point. I'm curious point to see that. Because uh, what, a lot of the ways people don't count on technology making an improvement is things like prosthetics and like our ability basically to just either function when we're not previously able to function because of a birth defect or some accident or being able to push ourselves to an extreme. So, and that, and I know that's where they've been making progress with the whole uh, BCI, the brain-computer interface. But the idea is you're going to have a chip in your brain that's able to control arms and legs and and whatever. And it has improved a lot. You know, it's not perfect, but people can have a computer chip and move fingers and things like that. So, where do you draw the line between? There's people that could have a real benefit of that. And there's people that go, oh, great, we got Manchurian candidates running all around with Terminator arms and legs. Yeah, I'm not signing up for that. In fact, 
I'm going to form a group bothered about brain-computer interfaces. That's going to be my. That's going to be my group. Are you guys hiring? So, uh, I'm sure we'll have a they Kickstarter don't hire. for you that. You just have to prove how radical you are. Right, right. I just need to have my ferret was killed by the brain-computer interface, and now I'm going to try to prevent. Are that you from willing others, to blow so. up Skynet? I yeah, just like when right. Skynet. What? That's I was just, so saying, I just like when Hollywood tries to portray hackers in the cyberpunks. Those are always great compilations yeah. to watch. <laughs> well, yeah, I went into IT and it was the same. You know, I watched The Net, Sandra Bullock's oh, The geez. Net. And I was like, this is the most ridiculous uh, portrayal of technology. And it was, you know, anytime you have this niche thing that you do and Hollywood or, or the, you want to get, you want that legitimacy to be legitimized, but yet. They don't. They they ruin. Well, it. they, they ruin that thing. with so, trying to make a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Remember, we saw that in theaters. Eh? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think they made like three oh. of them. Yeah. Well, there's been a few. There's been a bunch of home, you know, brewed ones that people made, and I just can't. Jeez. I can't watch it. Well, I can't watch other people play Dungeons and Dragons, and I can't watch those shows. It's just so. But it's, uh, you know what's funny is the really video game fun. influence from Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, so many of my favorite games still like the the new Divinity and Divinity Two. Are like, I mean, there's it's straight up Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, you could put your own spin on it, and but like, it's um, I don't know how many people know this, maybe that are our age, but I mean, it's literally just a, a like a visual interface version of Dungeons and Dragons, like how the, the the dice rolling, the die rolling hits, and everything. And like, I'm wondering, yeah. did Dungeons and Dragons literally start like pretty much what everybody knows as RPGs? Because it's literally it's a dice roll. Or die roll, whatever, and but obviously you don't see it sometimes. Sometimes it's like it's just digital, but that's literally what the hit is—is is like a dice roll. You know what I'm trying right. to say? Yeah, it's it's you know, and there's plenty of material out there, but the uh, it is the game that was. That's why it's still the most popular in many ways because it it is the game that's founded the idea of moving away from. It was the am- amalgamation of a role, a tactical game, whether it was fighting with soldiers or mutants or monsters, and having you portray one of them in, and have them progress and have a story based on it. And that whole, you know, we, the first Dungeons and Dragons, first released one was in 1974. And, uh, you know, so you're talking 45 years of this and two or three generations uh, so Lord Garriott, which is or Lord British, excuse me, Richard Garriott, he did the Ultima series. That influenced um, people like from Bioware, who did uh, the D and D Baldur's Gate series, and you know then that moves into the games that you've seen. Um, one of the most popular streams is Critical Role, and these are all voice actors who play D and D who've been on all these. Uh, computer games you know i didn't know them from the computer games but they're like you know my kids are like oh that's mccree from uh overwatch or that's the voice of this person you you watch the credits that they have and they play dungeon dragon so i think it attracts creative people uh or people who want to express themselves and and what's interesting we're in this renaissance which i'm very happy about but as a grognard i don't want to go i want to stay on my lawn in first edition but i'm happy to see people taking this it almost feels like we're back in the really? '70s. That we're yeah in in that um, you know I played yesterday and there's plenty of people playing. There's six or seven wow. tables full of younger people playing. 
this idea of getting together socially, that the experience uh, with, you know, it's just, even though we have online and we have HD 4K TVs and we can stream and collaborate with a bunch of people out the world, there's something still visceral about sitting with other people in that social setting, you know, that primal sitting around the campfire and telling stories. And um, I don't know how familiar you are with role tape, you know, role playing games. Does it have an interest, you know, uh, for for people of your age? Uh, definitely, with Brandon, since he's a nerd. No, I'm just like, <laughs> I like to. I mean, I just like it's just a big, you know, time commitment. Like because I know it has to keep. Um, yeah. It's a continuation story, but like video game RPGs, I love, um, and I think you're right. That's a super positive. People are getting together to play it. I mean, that kind of like goes against this entire narrative of like, oh, the the new generation aren't social and this and that. Like, that's a complete opposing um, argument. Just so that's awesome, and it definitely breeds creativity. You know, you have to be in the moment. It's like improv. I, I yeah, honestly yeah. find it kind of funny that the video game industry is shooting them in the foot, shooting themselves in the foot, because they've really done away with, like, the couch co-ops, yeah. and, and even just co-op in general. I mean, Jordan and I ran into that problem last night. We were trying to play a game that we thought was co-op, and then it turned out it wasn't, and we're like, well, we'll have to play on separate systems and just talk to each other about what we're experiencing. Yeah. It's okay, but it would be way better if we were playing together. And D&D gives you that yeah. aspect of, like, here we go, we're about to do this together we're about to meet up every week and and play the game and i don't know why but video games have really been doing away with that unless it's like some massive battle arena or something but there's something really fun still about doing a story mode along with somebody else i feel like a lot of that's a money hook because they know they want if there's any kind of multiplayer ability they want you to buy the game as well which is cool about D &D or or those type of games is like you're not really on the hook for anything else. Well, maybe you buy the book or, or some pieces, but like you bring that to the table and there's no hook to like, okay, we got to keep having you come in. And that seems to be like every business model entertainment or not right now. It's just like, how can we keep them on the hook? Yeah. Well, this is a very, you know, it was at the game store and you know, the front half of the game store is playing magic, the gathering collectible card games where, you know, That's you an inexpensive to, you're game. You're going to be active. You have to spend money. And then the back half is people playing Dungeons & Dragons, which it's not an inexpensive. You could technically play for free. But once you buy the core books, you really don't need to spend a whole lot of money. Um, so I think it's a, it's a hobby that allows people to be creative. It's not super expensive. You can, if you want to spend money, you know, you... Uh, uh, it's just weird. It's like a lot of things that were taboo, you know, people, uh, you know, the, all the stars of rock, you know, they're now on commercials. You've got uh, Joe Manganiello, right? The guy, he's he's a big D&D nerd. And Stephen Colbert, there's all these celebrities who've, you know, I could never see uh, Patrick Swayze or Charlie Sheen saying he played Dungeons & Dragons in the 80s. That would <laughs> never happen. Vin Diesel's played Dungeons & Dragons. He's Terry Crews plays Dungeons & Dragons. Net. None of the heroes or my, you know, the stars of the '80s would be caught. Madonna playing Dungeons Dragons? No, right. that's not going to happen. So it's I'm excited about that. I think there's a lot of value, and there's other kind of games. It doesn't have to be. I think the oldest is the best, but there's a lot of interesting games. And I'm, you know, I haven't done enough research in modern games, but I think that would show you just like the the conspiracy game 
what is the things that are, people are interested in? They want to use role playing to flesh out what they think about it. You know, that that's I don't know enough about that. And that would be maybe we could do a follow on where we look at modern games and say, what does that say about society today? Because that's what the role playing thing does. It, it helps you flesh out um, some things you couldn't do in a normal right. setting. I, th- I think another beautiful aspect of D&D that probably gets overlooked is that it's in a way it's open source. So you show up with whatever you want to show up to, and then every single person there is contributing to the story. So you're never going to get the same thing twice, and some things you'll take from that game and apply it to other games going forward, whether it's like homebrewing characters or or, um, rules or whatever. So you kind of have millions of people just like adding their own flavor to this story. So it's like a big game that everyone's making better collectively with their own thoughts and ideas and then you go into online forums and you go hey that's a great idea or you see a rule that you don't know which is kind of what you guys do every week with your podcast and say hey we found it on the forum we found the answer yeah and and D and is a common language but you can play you can tell your own story and um you know i've i've had different styles I tend to like the older style because that's what I'm familiar with, but you know, hopefully I can continue to branch out because I don't like it's a game. It's a storytelling vehicle, but it's still a game, and there's a lot of folks who have now moved to it's really just a way to tell stories and, and less about dice and combat. And you know, I still want to play a game where there are things we can do, and during the, the, the adventure and what your characters do and the interaction with your players, that's what dictates it, not some overarching plot that you're basically showing the players to go through. Right. That's another that's podcast. For another well, and I, I agree with you there, too. And, and I don't mind so much if there's not dice rolling, as long as there's something you're having to, to think over in your head. But if it's just laying out story, then it's like a Charles Dickens novel where it's like, okay, we've got all these words and everything, but you know, where's the meat of it? Where I don't need... That, that's the one thing I remember of Great Expectations. It's like 10 pages describing the food sitting on the table. And you're like, okay, but can we advance the plot a little? Can I, Is there something I can think about? So, uh, right. yeah, I, I, I definitely like the dice rolling. I, I guess it, it's innate human. We, we love dice rolling. But yeah. um, I also love that somebody gives you like a moral quandary or something that maybe you, you don't have to address it right now. But as you're approaching the crossroads where you know you're going to have to address it, you're thinking, OK, what is what is the benefit? What's the negative? And maybe they're introducing more things that that will change the way you think about it as you go along. So you have your decision all along and then you're like, oh, wait, that really just threw a wrench in this hole. So I, mm. I like that aspect of it as well. And that's kind of the beauty is you can approach it from a lot of different ways. And, and I know you guys have talked about that too, but you just kind of have to know what the character, what the people are playing are like, and then cater it to them. Are you saying that it's yeah. become more storyteller centric just because the people who are um, doing podcasts and YouTube, that's kind of what they're trying to showcase. Yeah. I, I yeah, I don't know what begat more storytelling. Um, you know, so my understanding of the versions is the last edition, which came out, this is, we're on the fifth edition. The fourth edition was very, uh, for those who don't, uh, Diablo, which is a video game, very, or World of Warcraft, which is a multimedia, uh, uh, massively uh, multiplayer game, very tactical, 
you know, each person had a role and you kind of went through it. Fifth edition was a throwback, supposedly to first edition, in that you know you kind of made up the rules. It was very light on the rules. The result of that, because of the internet and Twitch and streaming and podcasts, what makes for dramatic watching someone play a video game for most people. Now again, you younger people like esports, so I don't get it, but. Uh, this idea of story trumps the game playing, and now it's become people are trying to replicate that. And so I'm very curious to see when the sixth edition comes out if they're really going to go completely to storytelling and really minimize the role playing. And there there are uh, tabletop systems that don't even have dice. Fate I think just uses uh, basically you can get chips or something like that. There's some randomness, but it's very it's downplayed tremendously. And so, um, you know, for the, what's the challenge of fifth, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is like Microsoft Windows. It's so old. It's been around. They have to keep trying to make new things, but cater to the old people. Uh, so, you know, I've listened to other podcasts like, why do we have hit points? They don't make any sense. Or what about armor class? Some of these things that were, are, you know, invented 45 years ago. But if you get rid of it, you're not playing oh, Dungeons and Dragons. Hey, if the Bible can and do it, so, Dungeons and Dragons can do it. Hey, and that's they're still number one, baby. So. I can just see you raging in the car. What do you mean? What's the hit point for? <laughs> that's right. Well, it's an abstraction of the ability of the character to survive conflict. It's not that complicated. I mean, even Gary Gygax wrote that out. But people, and and that you know, it, all things full circle. There were games in the seventies where uh, Ruin Quest, which you know I played it, and there's uh, in England uh, they they. That was really a game they embraced because it was D and D was the license was a little squirrely. Um, it's a very deadly game because there's, and there's a lot of rolling and you would basically the sword would hit your arm and it would have to get through your armor. But if it did and did some damage, all of a sudden your arm wasn't useful. And it took you know so combat would take a long time and it had to be avoided because you were going to be most likely maimed or killed. And so you know this this constant uh, and. And the idea of Dungeons and Dragons was really more of a storytelling thing. And now we've gone the opposite way. Uh, the D and D has become more storytelling. There's been backlash. People are still playing Pathfinder, which was an offshoot of Dungeons and Dragons, because it's very tactical, a lot of rules. Um, so the good news, the optimist in me says, there's a game for everyone uh, if you want to play it. The pessimist says, you know, we we uh, these. Everything's being appropriated. I was just going go to say cultural appropriation. Everything gets appropriated based on the culture Terry that we Cruz have today. You know, trying the, to p- cultural appropriate yeah, my the, game? You know, it's, uh, yeah. Oh, well, now the buff uh, you know, guys are playing, huh? <laughs> but, well, you've got, yeah, you've got the jocks, that, you know, that thing. And, and then, um, you know, unfortunately, I know you're going to probably find this shocking, but if I were to say the... Gender makeup of D and D players probably skewed towards people who associate as ma- males. Uh, probably I don't know ninety ten, and you know I've listened to podcasts and I think it's a good thing, <laughs> but it, you know it feels like appropriations that we need to have pictures of people <sighs> represented in in the books uh, there. So you know Wizards of the Coast is in Seattle, so take that for oh, yeah. what it's worth. Uh, whereas, whereas D and D, so soon yeah, we're gonna TSR have Nikes on our warriors. <laughs> yeah, TSR was from Wisconsin, and 
you know, it was it. I didn't think it was overtly sexist or racist, but there were things in there that you could construe. And one of the big ones, just now we've completely gone off the rail, which is part and parcel of the Smogam and Not, is in first edition, uh, there were, if you were a female human, you could not be as strong oh. as a male human. If, if, or if you were a female orc, you could not be as strong as a, fe- a male orc. And, you know... I'm not gonna get you take it. Well, for here's my thing though: isn't Beelzebub like ten thousand years old and genderless? So it's like, what about that? That's the first transgender. Uh, that's. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Yeah. So, but so that's always been, and you know, so now you can, and that's the idea of well, the character could should be able to do whatever they want, um, but that's you know, if it's if it's if there's no rules. You can do whatever you want. Then it's storytelling. Then right. you know I'm just going to be a, 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 a be a wizard who's half this or that. So anyway, it's. I mean, I do. I, think I do think a it's a it's a little silly, uh, uh, and maybe because they've amended that. I'm guessing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's a little silly that you're living in a fantasy world where, like, you know, your characters are already performing ridiculous feats of strength sometimes. Why put an arbitrary, unless you're trying to inject some of your own opinion into it, why put that arbitrary rule in? But aren't they better at something else if they're less in strength? Like, I'm sure. Sh- oh, okay. No. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious, then. It, well, it was a reflection <laughs> of. The good times. I mean, I'll just say common right. observation. Right. Of the world. No, and I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying, why even bother? What, you know, you, well, if you're right. going to base it on reality, there's a lot of things you got to take out. I mean, why are people casting sure. spells? Right. And... right. Well, they didn't make intelligence less, though other races. You wrote in. And again, then you take it to the extreme of are these races, you know, proxies for racism here? Oh. Um, and then, so, yeah, you, yeah. You guys do some research and call me back, and I we'll refuse. get into all that. But you know, I never saw it that way. An orc was an orc; it wasn't a proxy of this. wasn't uh, uh, Planet of the Apes kind of an al- you know allegory to the '60s and, and racial tension. This was an orc's an orc; they're evil, right. and and that's even did moral relativism. Originally, the game had this idea: good mm. and evil, law and chaos. Uh, you know, slaughtering orcs was not a bad thing because they were evil and they would murder all you. You move into this alignment is this idea of you have this worldview that is not changing and there's consequences that are not changing. That's that's kind of, it was a hassle. So people are like, eh, it's better to be more relativism. Right. And so it still has an alignment, but it's not as 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 Did they start that whole thing? As it was then. Wow. Alignment, yes. That, there's... A, all the things, yeah, so to your point, Jordan, these are the tropes that have been injected in what you, you know, everything role-playing and, and games that and other Every role-playing game. Well, it, it is fu- funny because the way I interpret it, you know, obviously you played with the first edition, so you kind of see it as, as them just saying, oh, you know, this is just more of a hassle than it's worth. And I see it as maybe them adjusting for the complexities of, the, the natures of human and then obviously mystical creatures but basically they're saying there's not really fine lines in much stuff so 
we want you to have more fluidity b- between how your characters behave and be able to play the characters better. When it was originally created, it was like, here's the rules, follow in these lines and everything. And it, it was still about the storytelling, but I guess there wasn't as much storytelling, whereas probably generations now, they appreciate more of like the complexity of the characters. And, and I think you probably see a lot more now people really getting into the characters um, you know, and not everybody has to play like that, but having the fluidity of the the um, alignments allows people to better role play that because in reality, people rarely fall into they're all good or they're all bad. You you can, in right. fact, I would say they never fall into that line. So it it allows them to have a little bit more leeway with that. And I think it it's an interesting point too because it kind of connects to like the whole depth of story in the, in the first edition, you really didn't have, you had a background of all of the world, but you didn't really have that much. Now it's to the point where like you can pick any random thing and it goes all the way back. And then people inject their own on that. And they've got tomes of history on some of these characters. And you see that happening with like uh, the comic books and everything too. And, and the comic, I mean, look at our movies now. It used to be just a one-off, you know, here's your, captain marvel movie or whatever now it's like oh no no, yeah there's 10 movies that lead to the background of this movie so it makes me wonder what's happening with society where people like much more complexity to the story because we've seen everything 10,000 times you know well i i i hear what you're saying i guess my take on that is um so alignment in first edition and subsequent edition is a is a mechanic it has it has a, it has a thing in the game. If you're good and you fight evil people, you may get bonuses or negatives. Uh, in my opinion, alignment only makes sense if you have a that the gods, whatever deities, are real, and that they are personifications of their worldview. So, just like Satan is a personification of evil, he's not Milton's Satan from Paradise. You know. Rather, they're rule in hell than serve in heaven kind of thing. They are truly malevolent. And um, because of that, your characters have a worldview. They're religious. And again, this you know part of it is our society is less religious than they were when you try to aspire to a certain worldview. Um, so it was probably made a lot more sense. I think the, the backside to at least back in the early days, there was a game called Traveler, which you were basically... Uh, space-faring role-playing, there was no alignment. You could do whatever you want. You know, you're either a lawbreaker or not. The, the challenge with that is the same challenge when you have evil parties, I use my open quotes again, of in Dungeons & Dragons. What is the social contract that's going to allow you to move forward? If you're immature, then what happens is when, as soon as I get an opportunity to, to take you out, I'm going to because it devolves into this kind of paranoia game. I think... That part has been more progressed. People are willing to uh, deal with the social contract to continue moving story, and they're not using the alignment as the way to bind that. Uh, but at least when I was growing up, if you didn't have that, there was consequences for me to do something against what I did, then everything fell apart. You wouldn't have a campaign because halfway through, I would take your magic item, and from then on, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to try to kill you because you took my stuff. And so I think there is that opportunity. But, you know, Captain America is still, he's lawful good. Right. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, he he has moral quandaries, and that's what makes it interesting. Because if he wasn't lawful good, 
the things he do, that's we all then debate that when he does that, is it still uh, yeah. in his alignment? And, you know, that we could talk about right. that for three No, that's hours. really well, interesting. And it's funny, though, because it, he's lawful good in the sense of his actions, but if you were to stick purely to the Dungeons & Dragons, he wouldn't be able to associate with the people he associates with because he'd be railroaded into these, no, you can't have friends that are neutral for you know a certain amount of time. Basically, he'd be able to ha- help Iron Man once and then be like, sorry, we can't be friends anymore. So I think that yeah. that... Well, at least that change right there was good because you don't want to have a bunch of people that are like, no, we're all doing the, the – it's good to have a little bit of conflict. Right. I'm sorry, Jordan. Oh, no, I just think that's, that's uh, really interesting. That was all. <laughs> but, well, but, but using that example, um, so there's a class in first edition Paladin, which is what Brandon's kind of alluding to, that they couldn't associate with people. And this idea of – you have this worldview, and it, you think it's correct. Shouldn't you be trying to influence others about it? You know, it's that thing of, I found the secret. You know those people, right? They want to tell you about it. I found the secret to life. Now and I just pictured Captain it, America it, selling essential oils. <laughs> right. Well he's, well, he's selling democracy, peace, Amer- peace, justice, the American way, right? That's his idea. And... Um, is it best that goes back to all these groups? If you're part of any group that feels like they have the truth, there's always that difference between do you involve others who are not believers and you interact with them so they become believers? Or if you do that, will you be part of the world? The Amish, right? They let their teenagers go off to experience things because they're like better for them to experience and then come back. You know, so there's a whole thing of that, which again, I've given you like five weeks of, of uh, things for you to talk about with that but you know captain america he is is a personification of truth justice in the american way and what makes him interesting is when he has to make moral choices between his his hierarchy of priority and you know loyalty to his friends versus his understanding of yep that's right uh, truth and justice See, and that kind of thing or superman that, or any of these if they were more you know if it's all han solo han solo was interesting but he was more interesting when well he was more interesting from a character perspective when he was a rogue and you didn't know what he was going to do his challenges were more real when he became uh you know chaotic good or whatever you want to call it and for those who are alignment don't know what we're talking about plenty of things about the alignment well yeah this the funny thing is it's probably an easier transition for people to uh, hear your podcast mixed with ours than people who hear ours to mix it with yours because some of them are right. like, what is this D&D terminology? But yeah. if they want to get the basics on all of that, they'd have to go listen to you. So That's right. And in fact, I'm using so, a lot of your own logic against you, just so you know, because I'm completely okay. caught up. So in hearing you and Dan talk about it, I'm like, ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 but for me, because again, first edition is a game first. And it, if the storytelling should be generated from the game, not the overarching plot as the, the game master, the referee that I'm trying to do. I set up the scenario. I let the players try to figure out um, the, char- the characters, the, the players yesterday. I didn't know what was going to happen. I just set the stage. And the, the great event is when one player paralyzes the dragon. He falls out of the sky and he kills him. I didn't know they were going to do that. I had no idea. But if I set this plot where... The good dragon would come in and attack the black dragon, you know, the bad dragon, and you save the party because that would be epic. 
that that would that wasn't as good as what happened at the table. No, nobody the likes challenge. Deus Ex Machina. Right. You know, the whole Eagles thing when yeah. uh, in, in Lord of the Rings oh, every yeah. time. So so but and that's the challenge. If you, if the as the game master, if you're putting this whole story in and all the players are doing, they're just witnessing your set pieces, and you start seeing that. Some of the streams talk about you have to have a chapter one, act one, act two, act three. Uh, and have this all planned out, and I don't look at it that way. And that's why, if I ever stream D anD D, there'll be three people who watch it because it's like a bunch of guys and gals. Which we have girls, by the way. We have females. Excuse me, women, uh, whatever term you want to use. Playing Dungeons and Dragons. Thank you very much. And it's not just you dressed up as a character, right? No. Okay. no well, I just think it's. No. Well, I completely agree we'll, with we'll you. Talk about the, the first generation is more about the game, and now it's evolved to be more about the story, and maybe. There, there's still that internal conflict of where's the balance between the two. But I think, if yeah. anything, the game benefits more from being a story. So what they need to do is add more game elements to it and not lessen the story elements, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there's, all, there's different things. I think that's where I probably need to do a better job. You know, it's, I don't know what the equivalent version of, it's like watching 1950s football and going, this is what football was. Right. Three yards in a cloud of dust. Just so you know, that's how you sound to us too. You see, right. back when they first made it, they didn't intend yeah, for all now, this fancy bottles uh, and... What do you mean they can't tackle the quarterback? You know, they can't tackle the... Big, yeah, it's jibber-jabber. You can't exactly. even clobber so, the guy in the head anymore. Yeah, you can't paralyze people. What's... What's wrong with that? Where have we gone to? Well, so, and yeah. I guess to make my point, what I would like to see them do is in their storytelling incorporate more ways for the players to be involved in, you know, whether whether you have more roles in in your story or I don't I don't know how they could do it. I'm, there's a lot more clever people that work on it than me, but you know, that way you still have the story, but then people are still active in the story they're not just sitting there listening to you right. paint the picture or, or whatever. And I think maybe that's where my point comes in that you. Um, develop the story in such a way that that people actually have to make decisions based on it and it's probably going to require a lot more work to be honest and that's part of the problem with being a dm and i know you guys said you use yes. two dms sometimes I'm, sh I'm sure that makes a world of difference yeah it helps if you have someone to help with you but uh, you know the, the ones who do it well they have the ability to give a space for the players to change the narrative and not be so in love with what they came up with and allow the circumstances to flesh it in. And that's the, you know, whether it's fifth edition, first edition, all these other games, when the players and the, and the person who provides the story, the referee, when they work well together, um, it can be great. It, you know, the problem is like all hobbies, there's that Nirvana that you get maybe 5% of the time, the other 90% of the time it's Chasing reading that. about it. Yeah, you're chasing that. You're chasing that, that high that you had the one time when it was perfect, everything worked great, uh, and most of the time it's, you know, you're haggling at the inn to save three coppers at a beer kind and of thing. And so, you're telling everyone else about the one great moment you had, and everyone's like, oh, right, he's, right. he's told us about this ranger 50 times. As Chris Rock said, go get kidnapped and get some new stories. <laughs> right. So that's... Uh, well, I think that just... As a whole, I think it just really speaks to how good like the this the game is that is that pervasive and and uh, it's making such a resurgence because it's it's just 
it's solid from the get go. And then, you know, you have the, the technology and the different like ways that people can interact, like maybe through like Skype or through like streaming it. So other people can see what others are doing, or you have like that dungeon creation website. So it's like, you just have easier yeah. tools around the same just foundation of the game that hasn't necessarily changed in terms of how it's done. You just have things that make it easier and more convenient. You know, it's interesting too, Absolutely. because there's that new black mirror, which I haven't seen yet, but uh, you know, it, it involves having to make choices with the story to, of how it's going to end. And it makes me wonder if this is kind of an influence too, of the whole dungeons and dragons where you know, people have an input on how the story goes. I, we've even seen books. R.L. Stein used to do books like that, where you, you ch it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah, and, and the next step is going to be, will artificial intelligence, will the Turing test for being a DM come? Because right. right now, you know, you hit, the, you hit the wall, whether you play Divinity, there's some part of the world you can't, you know, you stop and there's the, invisible wall um, and in theory when you play with other players there is no invisible wall if you have a competent game master and you have competent players you can go everywhere when will artificial intelligence provide that so that and and when when the computers will just play with each other and we watch the story on twitch yeah i mean they're already making movies it. so it's, it's not a far stretch i think that just speaks to how easy the, then, these movies are to make <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. And then we'll really know that the computers are behind this, and of course they're being run by. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that puts a nice bow right. on it. That's right. So for my, for, for my listeners and those who may be checking in, how do they uh, reach out to you guys? What's, your, what's the way to connect um, to you? Website, smogandthenog.com. Social media for Instagram and Twitter is all at smogandthenog. Uh, we do encourage people to uh, just reach out to us through emails, um, smogonthenog at gmail.com. Um, you know, any feedback on, on this episode or others or, or um, you know, anything like that, just reach out. That's kind of the, the best way. Okay. And for us, you know, uh, Grog Talk at Grog Talk at Twitter. Uh, we're, we're working on GrogCon, which is our convention. So for those who want to Watch what this craziness is. If you're in the Orlando area, Orlando, Florida area in October, uh, we're on YouTube, Twitter. Uh, we have our website, GrogCon, Google Play, iTunes. Still looking for ideas, always needing that. And hopefully we'll get some good reports from Dan, who will be up in uh, GaryCon, which is named after Gary Gygax, the founder in Wisconsin wow. in March. How exciting is that? Sounds awesome. It is exciting. So... Uh, so on behalf of uh, the folks here at Grog Talk, I want to thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. We need to do it again when you guys come up with uh, another thing that I can introduce, Grognard, which, again, for those who don't know what a Grognard is, is it's, an old, it's, it's almost a pejorative word for an old-school ga war gamer kind of oh. thing is the idea of it. So, I wondered. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's, that's what a Grognard is. It's kind of a wait, how we played it back in the day kind of thing. So. <laughs> I embrace that, and I'm okay with it. So if there's something else I can help you guys with, or at least we can have, because this was a great fun, I had a great time, and I look forward to seeing you next time. I'm looking forward to the next podcast. So on behalf of Dan, who's not here, we'll see you later. This is the official production. All rights reserved.